I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. I'm taking my time. All I could talk in is starting to rhyme. I'm letting go lonely, letting go of strife. I just can't get enough of this beautiful life. The Enneagram is a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way that we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram's a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I am a philosopher, pastor, writer in Greeley, Colorado. And with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram ninja. Hello. My man. Hey. It's a new year. It is. We are starting a new series. Hooray. We are going to do something that most Enneagram podcasts do as their first series. Sure. And that is just going through each of the types. Yep. Now, we normally go around the circle with the topic. Mm-hmm. But this time, we are going to pick a topic, which is types. Right. And we're going to spend nine weeks on it. Love it. Because many of our friends have told us they would like to just hear about their type. Right. Yeah. Just once. Right. So here's so, our thing. Here it is. The good news is, I imagine you and I have learned quite a bit over this year. Yeah. And just like pulling in a lot of the stuff that we have learned into one place is going to actually be a tool for me in the future. Yeah, so sure. I'm really excited to get this down on tape. Yeah. Can go back and listen to uh, Here's Lessons Learned. Right. But uh, we're going to start with type ones. Makes okay. sense to me. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We'll just go around the start circle with the starting yeah. with the ones. Yeah. So... You have some ones in your life. I do. I have a few. Hey, yeah. what do you appreciate most about the ones in your life? Um, so I, I identify as a nine. And, and one of the things that I really enjoy about the ones in my life is that they don't settle for me staying where I'm at. Yeah. So like, like most of the ones that I know that I'm close to are the type of people that are going to push me to do the things that I know I need to do. Yeah. And that's really helpful to me. Of all things, that was going to be my answer as well. Sure. I would normally think that that would be like the eights in my life. Mm. Um, the ones in my life are the ones that actually challenge me most. Sure. Um, and that's, I would think that fives would challenge me most intellectually, mm-hmm. but it's actually the ones who are the ones who are evangelists for something sure. and are forcing me to think better mm-hmm. or they're the evangelists for action. And it's like, hey, you need to do this thing. And I'm like, you're right. I do need to do that thing. Yeah. Just um, be better. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. That could be a great good. Yeah. That could be super annoying. It can be sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> here's the thing about the Enneagram. So the Enneagram is symbolized by nine numbers in a circle. And here we pick a topic and we go around the circle. And for the next nine weeks, we are going to spend time just doing a deep dive into each of the types. Big idea for me that routinely comes out when thinking about the Enneagram isn't just that it's about our motives or about understanding other people, but the Enneagram is about joy. It's about what does it look like for me to be filled with joy and find my best self? Because that's Mm -hmm. what joy is, is I am embracing the healthy, good, fully flourishing life that I've been made for. And it seems to me that the Enneagram is a tool for getting us there. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about what does that look like with each of the types. 
And you and I have a different take, I think, from a lot of other podcasts and writers. We're going to conceive of this kind of as a road of here are the basics about who you are. This is your character. Mm. All great movies start with a character who wants something. Right. And what they those characters want is the finish line. But all great stories also have a character who wants something and overcomes some big obstacle to get it. And one of the things the Enneagram shows us is the obstacle that our type is going to need to overcome. Right. So we probably need to talk about that. Right. So what's the goal? What's the obstacle? And who are you? That's where we're going. Love it. And we are starting with the ones. Of course. And so this whole podcast will be dedicated to the ones. Uh, what's the name that you like for ones? Uh, I like the improver. We also get the reformer. We've talked about the organizer or the moral perfectionist. Yep. Is one that, that we used before. And of course, each of the types is the, the foundation is what is the motive mm-hmm. of this type of person? Yeah. So how, how, how would you articulate them motive and, for and ones? For ones, they have a desire to be good uh, and, and a, an urge to, to resist, to avoid evil or corruption or being defective. I like that word, defective. Yeah. There is a naval term, which we've used in the past, which is integrity. Uh Integrity is about not getting water inside your ship. Right. It's kind of a big deal for the Navy. (laughs) I hear tell that it's not a good thing. (laughs) Um, But that's the image in my mind for ones is there is, I want to be shielded from anything that might corrode my interior life. Sure. Yeah. But that desire for things not to be, corrupted inside obviously sp- spreads out into the world right i want my house to look a certain way i want my my yard to look a certain way my business to look a certain way yeah. I want my government to look a certain way mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. yeah yeah it starts from that place of of being um wanting to be good in and of themselves and spreads out into the entire world they have an ideal vision of how a person should be and they have an ideal vision of how the world should be. As such, a lot of ones might see themselves as hardworking, uh-huh. as honest people, yeah. often characterized by orderliness. Uh-huh. All these things flow out of their motive, yeah? Right, yeah. Rule followers, for the most part, unless the rules are wrong, and then they want to change the rules right. to be the correct rules. Because some rules might corrupt you. Right, yeah. There's there's lots of bad laws, perhaps. If, if you live in a dysfunctional culture, yeah, the folks might be wanting you to do things that you feel mm-hmm. is wrong. That feeling impulse brings us to the second part of this, which is uh, their intelligence center. Sure. Um, intelligence center is how we perceive the world. Mm-hmm. Ones, eights, and nines are going to have the same intelligence center. Can yeah. we talk about that? Their primary intelligence center of ones, eights, and nines is the body or the gut or instinct. Uh, there's a lot of different words used here. And, and the, the, the general idea is that, that they have an intuitive sense about things and it's connected to their body and it's connected to action. There is an underlying feeling for all body types which is anger. Uh-huh. How is anger expressed by ones? Well, uh, we talked about, I mentioned that, that they have an ideal vision and, and anger comes out when things are not reaching that vision. Yep. And, and so you often see their anger come out in ways that, that 
reflects their frustration, their um, their their desire for change, for improvement. They they want the world to work a certain way, and anger flows out of them that it doesn't. And this is often mostly turned towards themselves. This becomes one of the real helpful things that Riso and Hudson, who are um, Enneagram writers, Mm -hmm. talk about when talking about anger is where is the anger directed? Right. And for eights, the anger goes outward. Right. For nines, the anger is going both ways. It's repelling. Right. But for ones, it's directed inward as an internal critique. Mm -hmm. And that internal critique can often spill over into the world around them. Right. In frustration. Right. And it's frustration not only at themselves, but at the world just not being good enough. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Lastly, the body's orientation, their underlying feeling is a resistance to the present where the heart triad experiences an underlying feeling, which is shame. Mm -hmm. And that is in the... It's a resistance to the past. And the head triad has an underlying feeling. That's fear. Yeah. And fear is always about the future. The body triad experiences anger, but it's not an embracing of the present. It's a different kind of posture. It is a resisting the present. Yeah. All of these types, all all human beings, when they're healthy, they can be present and find themselves in the present because that's the place where our bodies, souls, minds all overlap, interconnect. It's the Mm -hmm. place we experience God and each other is only in the present. And so one of the ways that we get healthy is understanding our orientation to time. Mm-hmm. And so ones have a resistance to the presence. Uh, you want to go into that in the future? Yeah, absolutely. We, we should we should do a podcast yeah. on time. Love it. That's a good one. Uh, does bring us to stances, though. Yep. Ones are going to share the same stance as twos and sixes. What's the stance of a one? So this is the compliant or dependent or reactive stance. This is how... We get what we want from other people, uh, and and these types are looking for something to react to and so that they can earn the thing that they're looking for. Intelligence centers about how you perceive the world, stance about how you get what you want. Yep. There is an orientation to time here as well, and it may sound like repeating ourselves, but right. the, the stance of a one its orientation to time is is in the present. I talk about that stance and uh, and orientation to time. So this is about the, bringing in that reactive idea because these types are always looking for something to react to. Their focus is on what's happening right now, what is happening in front of me, and I'm reacting to that thing. And for ones, they are looking to earn their goodness. And it's always a reaction to the present circumstances. Body types. We didn't talk about this, but body types Mm -hmm. need uh, desire control, Mm -hmm. desire uh, autonomy. Mm -hmm. Reactive types get that control, get that autonomy. How? By earning it. And so the earning of autonomy is a primary for ones when they are getting what they want. Right. Um, The last detail about stance then is their repression. Right. So this is uh, each stance has a repressed intelligence center. And for the reactive stance, they are repressed in their thinking. 
does that play itself out? So a good way to think about ones is being in the body. They are action-based and their heart center is secondary and their thinking center is repressed. And another way to say all of that is that they react to their feelings and think about it later. Yep. I like the phrase of intuiting your feelings. Mm-hmm. Like you intuit as a primary, your yeah. feelings as a secondary, and then, yeah. It can be a ready, fire, aim way of doing things sure. with ones. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, if, it might happen from time to time. Occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's how you perceive the world, how you get what you want. A third basic for ones is how they solve problems, and this right. is coping style. Right. They share the same coping style as threes and fives. And what is that coping style? That is the competency group. And how do you define that? So they are trying to put aside their feelings and their subjectivity in order to solve the problem in the best way that the problem can be solved. So this brings up a dilemma. You're thinking repressed, uh-huh. but you're trying to solve your problems logically. It, How does that play out it, with somebody? It's kind of tricky sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Ones might get confused. It's a, it gets a little interesting, especially... So uh, we've said this, and we'll say it again, and we'll say it over and over, but the, the value here is that we are becoming aware of how we actually behave and a lot of the unconscious things that we do. So simply becoming aware of the fact that you as a one are thinking repressed, that you don't logically think about how you feel, about your actions, that that is the third step. And also that you try to solve your problems with quote-unquote logic. Those two ideas come into conflict. Just becoming aware of it is the first step to learning how to solve it. Yeah. So I haven't said this yet, but I'm a one. Mm -hmm. And so I understand what this looks like internally. Just to give a little story on myself here, I'm real interested in what is right to do and what is right to believe. And if I have those structures in place, then they guide all the energy that I have. They guide my intuitions. They push me in, quote unquote, the right direction. But that doesn't come naturally for me. It takes me a long time to come to those sorts of principles. But that is how I solve problems. Right. Is I really want to find those principles. So I'll spend a lot of energy there. I'm just Which might help and understand why you became a philosopher. Right. And and of all things, there are lots of philosophers. Plato's a philosopher, Gandhi's a philosopher. Uh, arguably, Paul is a systematic philosophical mind. Mm-hmm. There is uh, a lot to be said about these these folks who are thinking repressed, who invest all of themselves vocationally, their best work, in getting the principles right so that they can navigate everything else. Right. And that is how that plays out, at least in my life. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Sort of like shoring up the weakest part of you. That's exactly it. Yeah. And of course, a one who has a motivation to be good and mm-hmm. to have integrity yeah. is going to be real aware of where but they But what fail. is good first? And well, let's define good, and then we can make decisions off of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, so that's how we solve problems. Ones 
connect with the world a certain way. Mm-hmm. This in Enneagram language is their affect group. One's uh, what are what's the affect group for ones? The idealists. And so they will connect to the world through their ideals. Well, this is about uh, seeing the world as it could be. Yeah. Like we said, they have an ideal vision for how they are supposed to be. They have an ideal vision for how the world is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And this informs how they make decisions. Let's move everything towards that ideal. And the other side of that coin is that the world isn't that way, so they're continually frustrated by it. Yep. It's not only just the world, it's also themselves. Mm -hmm. As we said before, oftentimes the anger of a one goes inward first. Right. And so there is something about their idealism that is inwardly focused. Mm -hmm. And so ones will often put up very strong internal boundaries against their impulses, against their their temptations, you know, be quite ruthless. Yeah. With the places that they feel like they may be going wrong Mm -hmm. or just give up. Have you seen that? Like on the flip side, just like, well, I can't get this right. And just, just bail on it. Yeah. Yeah. I have this, uh, I really want to pitch a triad, which I keep looking at and it strikes me as correct. So this may or may not work and we'll just discuss it this once. And if it doesn't work, then we can move on. But it seems to me that there is a drive behind some of the numbers. Sure. Ones, threes, and eights all have in my mind kind of an achievement oriented drive. That's 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 a big thing that they're going for. Twos, fours, and sixes all strike me as having a relationship-driven motivation. And fives, sevens, and nines all seem to have a peaceful, I want things to be a certain way and feel a peaceful sort of drive. I don't know if that works for you. That was the last little note. I was like, I've had this on my notes forever. And it's a a clean breakdown on the... In the symbol. It's clean. Yeah. Someday we can talk about that. Yep. Maybe not now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so given the hardwiring, this is the hardwiring. This is the basics. Your Mm -hmm. motive, um, how you perceive the world, how you get what you want, how you solve problems. How you view time. And how you connect with the world. Yeah. That is the type. That's the makeup. Mm Mm-hmm. Once you have that, that is your character. Um, in ancient languages, we've said this in the past, the word type and the word character both refer to blows made in metal um, or uh, markings like a statue would be um, carved in a certain way, forming its type, forming its character. Um, stories are about characters that overcome obstacles in order to get what they want. So there's an obstacle to overcome, and the obstacle in the Enneagram is your shadow side. So each of the types is going to have a sin, a fear, and a fixation. So the mm-hmm. sin for ones is what? It's when uh, that anger sort of takes hold and becomes wrath. And that can be both towards oneself, mm-hmm. and that can obviously spill into the world. Right. When the sin of wrath takes root in your heart, as we said in I think it was our first podcast we did on sin, our sin in uh, the very fears. first one was fear. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, fear, but we did sin, our first fixation. series was on on the shadows. Uh-huh. 
Um, but when that sin in your heart moves its way up into your head, it becomes a fixation. Yeah. Fixation for ones is... The typical word is resentment. Bang. Yeah. The They are then resenting themselves. If they're angry at themselves, has resentment. Well, it's um, th- that idealism and frustration thereof is really informative here. So it's it's a resentment at things not going the way that they expect them to there go. Is. Yeah, yeah, their idealism. There's a, some other lists will have hypersensitivity mm-hmm. as the fixation. And those are kind of uh, different sides to a very similar coin there right. in terms of how um, the, the sin of anger moves its way into the mind of a one being mm-hmm. overly sensitive and overly critical of oneself and the world around you. Right. Um, and this all spawns out of the fear of being corrupt. Right. And that's their fear. Yeah. One of the lists that Riso and Hudson have suggests that our own shadow is actually a place that we attack others from. Mm-hmm. And they say this. I would love your thoughts on this. I don't, we haven't talked about this before. They say, ones fearing that they may be defective may begin pointing out the corruption and defects in others. And they see this as a pattern with all the types, mm-hmm. that the thing that the, the type struggles with actually often will become the, their means by which they attack others. Oh, sure. So do you see that in ones of... Uh, it's really having not understood how to wrestle in a healthy way with their own moral failures or, you know, the things they perceive as failures, decide to use that energy to attack the people around them. Well, that is exactly how that, that comes out in, in unhealth. It's, it's, um, they become pharisaical. They become bossy know-it-alls who I have the right way to live and you need to do these things in order to be the best person. Talk about that for a second Mm -hmm. because most people who are ones don't walk around all day long being know-it-all pharisaical types. Right. But that's their shadow and that's their worst side. Mm -hmm. Like how does that play itself out? I would bet that most ones have a little bit of a running commentary in their head going through, though, and they've yeah. learned not to say it out loud because it's rude and inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> they have social boundaries now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that is part of, of how they view the world. Um, so it it when they become unhealthy and their inner life sort of, sort of starts to spill out in that way, it will become more apparent. Lastly, and we're going to look at this list from Riso and Hudson, which I found really helpful and real interesting, um, is they put together a list of eating disorders and addictions that each of the types will wrestle with. Yeah, and it, it's largely about how um, it like addictions and, and these unhealthy behaviors uh, manifest from a particular motivation. It's like this this definitely isn't a, a ironclad list, but um, getting an idea of how each type's motivation would manifest as an addictive behavior is really helpful in that way. All right. So on this list in particular, I don't struggle with any of these except for the last one hits me like real hard. Uh-huh. And so uh, the list that they put together for ones is ones will sometimes use excessive use of diets, mm-hmm. vitamins and cleansing techniques. Uh, they may undereat 
for self-control or use alcohol to relieve tension. Yeah. I have a friend who routinely was mistyping me as a five because I don't do a whole lot of, I'm not body obsessed. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea that I use alcohol to relieve tension is just all over how, um, yeah, I mean, that just describes my use of alcohol. Right. Um, and I can see that getting being being uh, moderated, mm-hmm. and I can also see that being totally out of control in my life over time. Right. Well, notice how all of these things are about control. Yes. Um, oh, so that's so good. It's, it's that body type being looking for control and autonomy and add the flavor of ones into it, and it's about being good. So improving yep. your body. You diet to improve your body. Mm. You, you, you do these behaviors to have control and improve your body. And alcohol is about taming the yeah. inner voice. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's all about control. It's about, we haven't talked about the inner critic, but uh, the, on the opposite, if you're um, doing these diets, that's an expression of your anger at yourself. Mm-hmm. And if only I was better. Yeah. It's not just mentally or soul-wise, but here it's physically. Mm-hmm. Your anger is being unleashed on your physicality. Yeah. Mm. And 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 the again, these things may not be exactly representative of all ones, but when one's diet, it is not about how other people think they look. It is about how they think they look and they can be better. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they are going to do these things in order to make themselves better for its own sake. Yeah, body and self-perception. Mm-hmm. Like you may, everybody may be very concerned about how they look, but it will come out of a different motive. Right. And there's how it comes out for once. Right. The we haven't talked about the inner critic. Mm-hmm. Apparently, lots of the numbers struggle with being self-critical. Right. But it's generally been established by people who identify as ones that their inner critic is uh, very ferocious, pervasive, and, and often <laughs> a, a a primary characteristic of this type. Yeah. If you don't have the inner critic, you probably aren't a one. Right. And, and an important note needs to be made about that inner critic is it is it, it is the voice that is constantly criticizing every single thing that you do because you could have done it better. And again, again, another important note, if you were hearing your dad criticizing you in your head, that might just be because your dad was a jerk. <laughs> if you were hearing a voice that is always criticizing everything that you just did, you should look into whether or not you're a one. Yeah. The, that for me, it's expressed in pockets Mm -hmm. and actually sometimes it is, it is remarkably similar and associated, I suppose, with people in my life or people from my past. This teacher would have critiqued the hell out of this project I just finished for these reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, and oftentimes, like, you can imagine standing beside a pool and having somebody push you in and suddenly you're in the water and wet. Mm-hmm. That's how it feels to me now. Sure. It's not a, for me now, and I've, obviously I've done a lot of work on this myself in terms of just understanding this about myself and, and naming that, that inner criticism is not a healthy move. 
So, but when inner criticism comes up for me, that anger that's directed inwardly, it can now feel much more like something that hits me all at once that I wasn't expecting. Mm. And now I have to go and wrestle through this for a minute. And right. It's part of my thinking repression as well. Yeah. I think, is it is it the case that twos and sixes likewise? Yeah. Have the inner critic? Once twos and sixes feel at the strongest, typically. So, yeah. And so I imagine thinking repression is part, part of that. You're navigating something, your shame, your anger, your fear, right. and it's coming out in these ways. Right. But you need to do productive thinking to counter it. Uh, lastly, and this is another list from Riso and Hudson, they have a, a great chart that says, I will become present to my life only when. And this is a lie, but oftentimes ones feel like we will only become present to our life when we have attained complete balance and integrity and make no mistakes and have everything in our lives sensibly organized. And when we have achieved that kind of perfection, then we are able to rest and show up for everybody else. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Yeah, that's a great <laughs> summary of how a lot of ones think. Yeah. And it's actually the opposite. It's when you rest, you will actually recognize that you are, in large measure, balanced. Right. And that you do have integrity. Yeah. And that the mistakes that you have made are not as severe as you think. Yeah. And that you have done the work to organize. And so there's like this, this um, am I going to approach life as though I have to get all these things done and then I can rest? Or do you give yourself permission to rest and then be able to see your life in a worthwhile way. And that's our first step, it seems to me, in coming out of the shadow for all the types. Rest, prayer, silence, solitude. Um, we've talk, we'll, we'll talk extensively about these more in the future as we mm -hmm. have in the past, but doing those practices that awaken you to real self-understanding is going to be a primary for getting out of your shadow. Right. Um, anything else on the shadow before we move on? Nope. The Instagram has become fantastic for some of these around the circle lists, sure. which I'm routinely uh, encouraged by because like, some of them are real bad, actually. But some sure. of them, the person knows what they're talking about. Right. And you're like, oh, this person has it. There was one by uh, by a, an artist who goes by the moniker, the Enneagrammers. And this artist put that what ones really want is goodness and balance, mm -hmm. but they settle for order. Yeah. And they went around the circle with all, with that over and over again of yeah. this type wants this, but they settle. Mm -hmm. And this strikes me as one of those places that's a wake up call. Yeah. Am I settling for order right. when I, what I really want is goodness and balance. Mm -hmm. Do you have thoughts on that? I think that's a great way to say, like, it, it's a really good summary of a lot of the behavior of ones, is that, that you are looking for goodness and you substitute something else. And, and the thing that makes sense, the most sense is if you put everything in order, if you follow the rules, if, if you behave a certain way, then you are good. And, and goodness is more than just being in order. And order isn't necessarily goodness. Yes, that's so. what it is. But it can, what, it can mask. It yeah. can, it gives you the high. Mm -hmm. yep. And makes it feel as though 
everything is in its right place and I can move on. Right. It also is a great representation of um, one of the things that we talk about in Enneagram language is the idea of lenses, is that you see the world in a particular way and there are nine different ways of seeing. For ones, order means goodness. For a lot of the rest of us, order isn't that valuable. Yeah. Goodness is still valuable. Order does not mean goodness for the rest of us. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put that. Yeah. A second wake-up call is a what we might call a feeling or a sense of personal obligation to fix everything. I think this is real common with ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've said this in the past. Ones are the loneliest number. Sure. Because they want to fix everything themselves. Mm-hmm. And if that's where you're living, that's a wake-up call. That's a, that's a sign that things are not as they ought to be. Right. How might that play into some of the shadow side of ones, this, this feeling that it's, it's your job, you need to be the one that does all the things, that fixes all the things? Well, I, if, if your friends get really frustrated with you about you constantly telling them how they should behave... That that is the manifestation of this. Mm. It's it's um, when when the ones in like I mentioned that it's it's good for the ones in my life to push me to do something more to to be better to to actually act in the world. But if the ones around me are constantly criticizing the things that I do, and again, this is the way that they criticize themselves. I kind of don't want to be around them anymore. Yeah. Because sometimes the things that, that they're trying to fix don't need to be fixed. In, and Go ahead. And, and sometimes the things that they think should be fixed, the way that they think it should be fixed isn't right for me. Yeah. The judgmentalism that one will naturally have is spilling into the world. Right. And they're not getting the response they want. This is real common for me where I'm going to critique something and then nobody cares. Mm, and sure. then it's just like, well, if you don't care, well, I guess I'm just going to do it myself. And, it, mm-hmm. and you're entirely right that that, ju- that judgmental posture is quite off-putting and mm-hmm. that's why you might be chasing people away right. from you in those moments and find yourself all by yourself yeah. <laughs> yeah. doing the thing you think is important. Yeah. And everybody else is just like, yeah, let him let him do his thing. Yeah, it's fine. Care. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which brings us to our third like kind of wake up call. Which I like this that each of the types get stuck somewhere, mm-hmm. and the place that ones it seems to me get stuck is in their inflexibility. Yeah, and it's again you have you're thinking repressed. You've developed these standards. These principles make you feel like you're good, but you're unable to judge the standards well or effectively you're not able to loosen up because they're somehow a shield or a protector Mm -hmm. and inflexibility is a posture towards the world and towards other people that is a place you get stuck and and it's ugly right and obviously the way that i see the world and how it could be how it should be this is the right way and anyone who is not conforming to the way that i think is wrong yep these are all signs. Uh, it's kind of like when you go to the doctor. The doctor says, hey, so where's where's it hurt? Mm-hmm. Uh, what isn't moving correctly? 
Right. So when turning towards health and turning towards the goal and turning towards joy that you're made for, given your type, uh, we've talked about this in the past, but a primary clue for us and for others who study Enneagram is they want to elevate an idea and say, this idea is the thing that's going to rescue you. This idea is, is the place where, you know, where God is speaking over you and inviting you to be free. And for ones, that holy idea is often called divine order or perhaps holy perfection. Um, and let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah. Like what, what's the big thing that will help me in these places where I wrestle internally? Well, uh, um, the looking for goodness, uh, when you are healthy, when you are, um, in in touch with uh, with yourself and the world and the way the world actually works and moving things towards the way the world could work, you actually get to start to see and showcase that there is an order for things, and you get to help move people towards the actual order of things. And so, um, you move from being a bossy know it all to being a teacher and a guide towards highlighting, towards towards um, shining light on the order of the world as it could be. Yeah. Yeah. One of the great values, even if it's just psychological, of holding that there's intentionality and purpose in the world is that it's going to rescue you mm-hmm. on, the, on this level. Yeah. Um, if I believe that there's a mind that created the universe for a purpose, then it's not my job to make everything right. Right. The, the, the mind that created the galaxy that we're in and the hundreds of billions of stars surrounding us probably can do things quite well. Mm-hmm. And the holy idea of, of seeing the order at work in the universe around us, pausing your fix-it project and looking and saying the universe and, and the story of humanity is unfolding in, in, in some bad ways, but often in very beautiful, praiseworthy, inspired ways can be a great good for you yeah. to know that it's not just your job. Yeah. That seems to me to be the idea because it rescues you from your primary addiction. Right. It's not just your job to make the world better, and it's not just your job to make yourself better. This is a real hard thing for ones. Yeah. I don't know if that's hard for other types. I imagine other types are more open to God's grace and transformative power within themselves without their efforts. Yeah. That there's a surrender. Yep. That's real hard for ones. Yeah. That goes back to like the when we were talking about excessive use of dieting and Mm -hmm. exercises and cleansing techniques. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to get myself in exactly the right spot. Right. And sometimes you can't do it. And like, like I, I think about um, Rob Lowe's character from Parks and Rec. Like, okay. like at a certain point, you have to recognize that like you're 40 and like your body doesn't work the, the way that it did 20 years ago. Right. And that's okay because there is an order to how bodies are supposed to work. Yeah. And, and like at 40, you're not supposed to be physically the same as you were when you were 20. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. 
Because there's an order to it. There is something to surrendering to that order as well. It would that we know that person who thinks that they're supposed to be 20 when they're 50. Right. And you have not surrendered to the order of how things work. Mm-hmm. Father time is undefeated. Right. And if you try to fight Father Time, you're going to lose. Yep. But there might be a different story you're supposed to jump into. Yeah. And your, maybe your soul develops in a certain way and is transformed when you can no longer count on your physicality to do all the jobs for you. Mm-hmm. You're not able to, your mind isn't able to do all the jobs for you anymore. But maybe that's part of your story and how you're supposed to navigate your development as a potentially eternal being. Yeah. Because your soul's going to be around in 100,000 years. Yeah. It's worth worth recognizing it, pouring some time into it. Yeah. Nobody cares how much you weigh in 100,000 <laughs> years, maybe. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, <laughs> again, Riso and Hudson say there's a healing attitude uh, that ones can embrace, and it's something like this. Ones, what if you were to think... Maybe other people are right. Maybe somebody else has a better idea. Maybe other people will learn for themselves. Maybe I've done all I can. Maybe that work is someone else's work to do. Those are really hard words for one. Yeah, sure. Especially somebody like myself who feels like he's going to transform the world through his political rantings on Twitter. You know, you're just just (laughs) not... You're not. You're not. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> Pitfall. It's my shadow side coming out. Yep. But they're the. What do you hear when you, uh, when you, when you hear those healing attitudes? I I imagine the type of freedom that you could feel when you embrace this kind of thing. Yeah. Because there's always work to do. There's always things that need to be fixed. There's always light bulbs that need to be changed. Mm -hmm. There's always something that could be better, including your physical body. And what if you just embrace the fact that those things aren't your work to do? Yeah. Then you could just go skiing. You and I know what it's like to have that friend. They got some issues. And you say to yourself, if only they would embrace these couple of ideas, Mm -hmm. it would mean the world to them. Yep. And yet it is so difficult to do for yourself. Right, right. Um, Maybe others are right. Maybe somebody else has a better idea. Maybe they will learn for themselves. Maybe I've done all all I can. Yeah. For those of us who are ones, it's it's worth sitting in those and saying, those who I love around me who aren't ones are looking at my life and saying, this would bring you such joy and peace mm-hmm. to go down that road. Yep. When healthy, ones are going to overflow goodness into the world, though. Yeah. It's not going to be overflowing judgmentalism because they're so self-critical all the time. What do ones bring to others when they're healthy? Well, it's that, it's that teaching and, and the sort of encouragement that comes from helping others be better. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a, in a more gentle way, um, we all want to have mentors. We all want someone that's going to help us see ways that we can improve our lives. And and when ones get to that healthy place, they bring that automatically. One of the things I experience in healthy ones around me is those who have learned 
to be deeply gracious with themselves are some of the most gracious people mm. I've seen toward the world out there. Yeah. This is this is a rule just in it's the law of nature some somehow. It's your shadow side and your best side are different faces to the same coin. Mm-hmm. And what you do best, you also do worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you're ju- the the ones that can be so critical and judgmental on the flip side can be those who advocate and elevate with a depth and power, you know, unlike anyone else. Right. Um, that teaching side, you're thinking repressed, but you've done the work so severely, you push so hard into getting your mind correct mm-hmm. on these fronts that when you bring out the ideas for others, they're clean, neat, packaged, helpful. Yeah. Hit you not just in your mind, but in your intuitions and heart. Um, lastly, just to wrap everything up, I wanted to talk about leadership styles because oftentimes the healthiest among us are those who are given authority in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so what are some of the ways that ones end up leading the rest of us? Well, they become um, sort of standard bearers. Um, like a, a lot of the ones that I know... Um, they they represent ways that I want to be for me in my life. Yeah. And and just, just the the in their health and in, in the way that they live, it's like, yes, that is the thing that I am aiming for as a healthy human being. Mm-hmm. Here is someone who is doing it. And I can go to them and and learn how. Mm-hmm from their just living out of that place. Yep. Yeah. That's what I see as well. Mm-hmm. There is something about, we'll, we'll talk about arrows in the future, but some of the best attributes of sevens begin to color the life of a one. So the vision side, the spontaneity, the wisdom of that is can often be part of a sevens life become very much the the spirit of very healthy ones who lead the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And that seems to me to be a, like the, that's the place of joy for this type. Yeah. Um, of being freed from your shadow, being freed from the your addiction to self-criticize, um, jumping into the flow of reality and understanding it has an order, allows you to see the order with wisdom and vision and to joyfully encourage others in that space. Yeah. Last word on ones. Good thing to know about them is that they are much harder on themselves than you could ever possibly be on them. Such a double standard because I routinely pull that out as a card. Uh It's like, I've already thought through this 20 times. Uh I don't need you to remind me. So you can't criticize them, but they probably need, occasionally you need to tell somebody, hey, yeah. Here's how I feel yeah. about your behavior. <laughs> yeah. And also, stop doing the same thing to me, man. <laughs> Just don't marry one. That's that's really what the there lesson would be. There you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my favorite word over ones, this comes from the, the very short book, The Enneagram Transformations. It's the very last reflections for ones to internalize in the writer says, one, you need to internalize this. I now affirm that life is good and unfolding in miraculous ways. And that's just good for my heart. 
life is good and it's unfolding in miraculous waves. That just saves me uh, when I read it. So yeah. good for me. All right. Well, it would mean the world to us if you like this podcast and you have a one in your life for you to send it to them right now. It's super easy. There's a button on your phone that says share. I think it's an arrow in a box is kind of what the share button looks like. Yeah, sure. Or maybe it's a thumb or it's one of those buttons. <laughs> um, it would make mean the world to us as well if you would take two seconds and just write a brief review or give us some stars. You can always find us on Instagram at Around the Circle Podcast. Um, if you dig our pop culture deep dives, which we just wrapped up the Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, you can help select our next series if you go to our Patreon page. Just Google Patreon and Around the Circle, and I bet you'll find it, or it's linked on our Twitter account. Um, we are booked up through the summer of 2020, but we are presently setting up events for the fall and for the spring of 2021. We do one-day and two-day events for up to 250 people and leadership teams for up to 20 He's TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. And I'm Jeff Cook. Who you aren't isn't interesting. Be who you are, and you'll set the world on fire. Will come burning. <laughs>